thanks for joining us for another episode of the Let's Make Some Shit podcast. I host Ray, and I'm here with my super awesome co-host Resonance. How are you, Resonance? I'm doing great today. I'm excited. We've got a fun family vacation week coming up, so we're going to take the littlest one to the aquarium for her second birthday. So, yay! <laughs> Ooh, I love going to the aquarium. <laughs> She's never been. It's going to be exciting. Looks like you've been making a lot of. Yeah, the one here, pretty nice. Is it? clear water and stuff uh, so that should be fun yeah um, it looks like you've been busy making stuff this last week yeah um i did so we got a bunch of deer from one of sex friends and we've i've been like finding different ways to cook that so i've done deer chili and deer loaf and i did deer stew last night um, and then this morning I got up and tackled the thing that's been like a monumental hurdle for me and, uh, poured my agar plates to start the mushroom cultivation. So I've got like, I built, built a still air box and cut my holes and everything a while ago. And I finally poured the plates this morning. So I'm going to inoculate that when we're done here. Um, so I was like, it's one of those things that I've been putting off and putting off because I'm like, I'm going to mess it up. I know I'm going to mess it up. I don't want to do this because I'm going to mess it up. But it's like, you know, this is why we do the show. Get get in and make it a huge mess and figure out how to do it the right way. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, Dag tried, did a little uh, venture into trying to grow some. And um, we didn't have good luck we also didn't try again to kind of like fix the, the areas where we went wrong um i know a lot of people say you know it's super easy and people will say that it's not i think there is a lot more that goes into it than people think and so i'm really excited to hear uh your process and if you have any luck just in time for a good mushroom episode I know, right? <laughs> what have you been into this week? Um, I, I want to also apologize. My internet's running a little slow. So if I ever accidentally interrupt you guys, I apologize in advance. <laughs> um, I haven't really made much shit this week at all. Uh, I don't know. I kind of actually feel like this week just didn't even happen. It was have a lot <laughs> so not, nothing nothing exciting to report on that front no baby goats yet either oh okay <laughs> dang <So>. it <laughs> yeah but we're joined with a really awesome guest today and i'm really excited to talk about a topic we're gonna get into um nutrition and ways to uh, improve your health through functional medicine with Stephanie Bloom. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, uh, I do a little uh, kind of like research before the show. And um, 
I'm going to ask you to kind of talk about what functional medicine is. But have you read the Wikipedia page? Functional medicine? No, I haven't. Oh, oh man. I got this written by Big Pharma. Like, I screenshotted some things and, you know, like, it, all of the methods have been unproven or disproven, and it's a bunch of quackery and doesn't follow, um, you know, medical science, and that they, ha- people of function have, are believed that a large portion of the population is heavy, has heavy poisoning, and that any um, efforts to detoxify your body from them is a waste of time and money and it was just so laughable um but did you want to tell uh the audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about functional medicine and how you got started doing that sure um so i just completed my uh, certification to be a functional nutrition counselor so my areas of expertise are focused on using food as treatment And the reason I chose that is because I myself had some health issues about 10 years ago now where I had some really high blood pressure, like 200 over 100. And I went to the ER and they they monitored me for a while and they said, well, we don't really know what's wrong. Follow up with your doctor. And I said, "Okay." So the next day I made an appointment with my doctor's office. My doctor wasn't in, so I saw some random doctor who barely checked my blood pressure and surmised that I needed surgery to put stents in my kidney arteries because my kidneys weren't getting enough blood. And I thought, wow, that's really extreme for not even having done any blood work or, you know, I was just like, "Mm, I'm going to go get a second opinion. So I ventured into Facebook and I said, fam, where do you go for actual help? And uh, neighbor, a neighbor that I had growing up responded that she had gone to this um, nutrition counselor. And I said, all right, I'll give that a try because it sounds better than surgery. Um, and so I went and, and spoke with this woman who did what now I am doing. And she hypothesized that what I had going on was actually leaky gut. And so every time I ate food, Um, It was leaking out into my body cavity instead of going through the digestive process because the microbiome had been worn away in my small intestine. And when that disappears, their tears appear. And so your food literally just leaks out into your body. And so your kidneys are working super hard to clean up your blood every time you eat, which would explain why my blood pressure was so high. And I thought, well, that sounds logical. What do we do to fix it? And the shortest path for me was to go on a very strict diet for 30 days. I was basically allowed meat, cruciferous vegetables, and salt and pepper. And so I did that for 30 days, and I went back to this nutrition counselor who, uh, you know, performed some more scans and things and said, I'm good to go. I felt much better. I had been monitoring my blood pressure the whole time, and it was steadily coming back into normal range. I did follow up with my physician and their response was, wow, how did you do that? That's a miracle. That never happens. It's amazing. (laughs) And I was like, okay, all right. I've got an understanding of where they're coming from and it's not in alignment with, with what I've seen. So that's how I came to do this because it was so life changing for me 
that I wanted to do that same thing for other people. Heck yeah. We've had a couple people on the show who have uh, used diet to fix various ailments. Like um, Derica did an episode with us. I don't know if you're familiar with her, Derica Claus from Facebook, but Uh, yeah. Yeah, she did an episode with us on how she was able to regain control of her blood sugar with type 2 diabetes um, through her changing her diet. And it's like a lot of it was, you know, understanding your own body and then like monitoring daily, um, like her own sugar, like her sugar levels and sugar intake. But that's super awesome. Yeah, it's been a really fun journey. Uh, we had BJ on too, and she um, was struggling with her diet and is doing it now a keto and kind of, you know, not 100% carnivore. Um, and she said that she has found a lot of relief doing that too. Um, I was scrolling through your Facebook page too beforehand, and and it made me realize that I need to reset my algorithms because I know you already post a lot of really great information, but there was a lot that I didn't see. But um, there was one post that um, I really liked, and you you were talking about how instead of kind of just for people to totally change their whole diet, uh, like you are having poor sugar filled caffeine filled. Diet, and adding those good things to that are just kind of like totally overhauling your diet. And I thought that was kind of um, like a good way for people to get started to make those changes. And I definitely used to eat like crap, um, especially when I was in action. I definitely didn't take care of myself at all. And, um, and so once we definitely started making changes for the better all around, like we kind of would almost like replace one thing, like instead of buying just regular store bought 2% milk, we would buy the, you know, the grass fed whole milk, you know, the, you know, the actual good stuff, just kind of keep, like upgrading um, some of those things until we get to, you know, but we definitely still have a lot of room for improvement. So um, like when you see people, um, like, how do you get started determining what would be best for them? Well, uh, you definitely have to consider that every human is different. So uh, the things like the food pyramid are just absolutely laughable to me because everybody is different. Everybody's circumstances are different. So you can't just say everybody needs to start eating a low glycemic diet. Good go. You know. So it really, it depends on where they are and where they want to be. So if someone is coming from a standard American diet, like you were saying, instead of saying, hey, you can't have fast food anymore, I don't want you to be drinking any soda, Uh, you definitely need to lay off the caffeine, like all of those things are staples for many people. So instead of removing all of the things that they love and are used to, I approach it as starting to crowd out those less desirable things. So maybe in that case, I would say start with a smoothie every morning before you leave the house, before your day gets busy, so that even if the rest of your day goes to pot, you started out really good. You did that one really good thing for yourself. And over time, that will become a habit and you will start to notice changes in your body, changes in your sleep, changes in your output. And it becomes something you want to seek out instead of Oh, take all these great things away from me. It's it's impossible to do that mm-hmm. for most people. 
Yeah, the incremental changes, I think, help a lot of people, too. Um, Because if you tell anybody, like, all at once, you've got to get rid of, you know, everything that you love to eat and then replace it with all of these things that maybe aren't your favorite. They're going to be super hesitant. So I love that. I love that approach. Yeah. And as you do that, you know, if you start to incorporate things like root vegetables in soups and stews and things like that, your cravings for sugar start to diminish. It's like the counterbalance. So instead of just saying, hey, you can't have soda anymore, I would say, I would like for you to eat this soup or this stew, you know, seven times in a week, whether it's lunch or dinner, you pick, you know, and by the end of that first week, they're already going to start to notice things are tasting a little too sweet. And hey, that soda doesn't really sound so good now. It's, It's a better path working with your psychology versus working against it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, things do definitely, like, especially, like, or maybe not so much with sweets. I still kind of have a little bit of a sweet tooth, but definitely, like, processed foods and packaged foods and fast food, like, no longer, like, it's, it sounds gross, to me now you know and it is funny once you like get away from that um and it, it kind of happens and it did happen kind of slowly and just kind of realized like oh you know like none of this sounds gross it's like cardboard and unflavorful you know and mm-hmm. um so uh yeah you mentioned you know the how terrible the food pyramid is and um but what do you guys think about that new food pyramid <laughs> oh my god man that made me laugh because it it places a value on um was it lucky charms i don't remember it was some ridiculously over sugared cereal above any any animal product at all yeah above any Uh animal product at all and i read that so i went in and i read the study that they based that on and where they actually got like the data from and it even admits in the study that it's skewed against animal products and that the, like, the government should never have used that for a basis for anything at all. But they did anyway. <laughs> and it's not very hard to find out why they shouldn't have. It was like two clicks on separate links and I was there. So, But man, that's infuriating because so many people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing right by my children. I'm giving them this thing every morning. It's so good for them, according to this study. and the state's going to use it as basis for food for like public school kids and all of that. And, and even like jails and stuff, like they're going to be having their meals based on this garbage, absolute garbage. Sorry. I mean, what do you think about it, Stephanie? I agree with everything you just said. It's a joke. I mean, it's, it's written by people who profit from you remaining ill. So you always have to to trace it back to who who benefits from sharing this information, you know, especially if it's coming from some big centralized uh, opinion. You know, yeah. it's it's meant to be a broad brush. And I really don't think true health is found that way at all. Right. Yeah, I think like a, a lot of it has to be like your own we say this and it gets hippie sounding, but like how you feel in your own body, you know, 
Like you can't go even with the doctors and they do the same thing. They paint with the broad brush because they see a lot of people and that's what they have to do to get through their day. They can't actually sit down and take the time with you that they would need to in order to understand your body. So it's just, yeah, the big giant broad brush that puts us all in this situation where we're thinking, okay, well, this isn't normal and that isn't normal, but my doctor says that this is normal, so I should just be okay with it. Yeah, it's, um, I think that as an individual, your health authority resides with yourself, you know, so when it comes to things like type 2 diabetes, I've had people tell me that uh, they've been put on a pill a day and their doctor said, you don't need to monitor your blood sugar. And to me, that's ludicrous. Like you should be monitoring your blood sugar after every meal so that you know how your body is responding to what you just ate. And if that should be a choice, you should make moving forward. So, I mean, it seems to me that Western medicine likes to prescribe a pill, um, use uh, surgery to remove things they don't fully understand or poison or burn it somehow. And, And we call that healthcare. And I don't, I don't align with that at all. (laughs) You mentioned that my sister had um, gallbladder issues back in 2017. And it was something that she experienced every time she ate any sort of fatty meats. And I was like, at that point in time, I was vegan, but not for like other, you know, ethical reasons. There were, I had different reasons for being vegan. And I was like, have you tried cutting out some of those meat products? And she's like, I would rather have surgery before I give up my bacon. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you would rather go under anesthesia and let them cut out a functional body part before you give up bacon. <laughs> but I guess that's the mindset of a lot of people. You know, they would rather have that quick and easy fix instead of actually trying to deal with the problem. Yeah, I, w- I had my gallbladder removed in 2014. And I didn't know then what I know now. And had I known what I know now then, I wouldn't have had it removed. Because after you have that removed, you no longer have bile storage. And bile is what breaks down fats. And if you don't have that bile storage, you need to be eating a digestive enzyme every time you eat fat. And no, none of my doctors told me that. So for years, I had gone on without you know any help to digest. And then all of a sudden, I had all these gut problems and a lot of it originated with that Hmm. the um yeah after she had her surgery she's had to make a whole bunch of dietary changes like a whole bunch of the foods that she was able to eat before she they just make her absolutely sick now and it it's just um yeah I wish that they would have counseled her more concerning her diet before they went in and just cut her gallbladder out um but I know in the future I will definitely be asking my family who says they need surgery to go see a nutritionist first. (laughs) I think that's a wise move. (laughs) Um, do, do you have an opinion on like veganism or vegetarianism versus like carnivore diet? Or do you like, do you ever like, I'm sure you probably strive for more well rounded approach but like are there people that you would say like the carnivore diet like yeah like it's good for them and like 
some vegetarians or vegans be like, okay, this works for you? Or do you like, I'm just curious your thoughts. Sure. Um, I think that there are two types of diets and I don't actually like to use the word diet because it has such negative connotations. So I refer to it Mm -hmm. as intake because you're, you're choosing what you take in. Um, So for me, I think that there are healing diets and then there are maintenance diets. And depending on what you have going on, like with a sister, you know, if, if she was having all those problems with the gallbladder, yeah, maybe a, a vegetarian diet would have been a different path she could have chosen for a while. But at the end of the day, there are certain things that we can only get from certain food groups. So staying on those healing diets for too long can become a detriment and create deficiencies in other areas. So once you have the ability to function and your digestive system is working properly, that's when I think you should move into that maintenance diet where you get a balance from many different categories. Do you um, incorporate herbal remedies um, along with diet to kind of, if like if their system just needs like a little bit more support? Absolutely. Adaptogens are fantastic supports. So I'm all about that mushroom life for many people. You know, um, Heck yeah. it's like, you know, mm-hmm. each individual cell needs support. So if you can reduce the stress by not taking in the poisons and then creating um, a nice safe space for that cell to function, you're going to have the best results. So, yes, I use herbs and spices as uh, therapy tools, because if you think about it, they've been medicine for thousands of years. You know, there's. Mm-hmm. While Western medicine is hesitant to use such things, there are studies, there are scientific proof that these things work. Um, So it really just depends on what the individual has going on. For example, if you have chronic inflammation, absolutely remove the things that are creating the inflammation. But at the same time, maybe you do need some turmeric, you know, in your world because it's a great anti-inflammatory. Works for most people, doesn't work for everyone, but definitely mm-hmm. worth a try. Most of this is trial and error. You can't just with that broad brush say, hey, everybody needs this, you know, but that's where that tracking comes in, that data collection. Yes, we can go get expensive labs and things like that. And yes, they are helpful, but for many people, that's not practical. So instead, I encourage them to keep a food journal. You know, I ate this for breakfast, I ate this for lunch, and two days later, I had a really upset stomach. Well, maybe it was something you ate two days ago. Let's look at your journal and find out. I think that's great. And that's a good place for anybody that is wanting to make some changes to start because personal data collection for like just for your own self is fantastic. And then we could even like get together and compile data and use that for our own studies as opposed to trusting the crap that the FDA gives us, you know, or the you know, stuff that's funded by big pharma already. And so it's like, oh yeah, you noticed that they, you didn't see any, uh, any changes when people were taking XYZ herbal remedy. Um, but you know, these 75 other people that I've talked to here all noticed changes when they did it. So what's, where's the discrepancy there, you know? Sure. And another thing I find interesting about the pharmaceuticals is that they're all based on some sort of plant substance. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so why don't we just back it up and go use the plant? <laughs> yeah. So um, I 
got my bachelor's degree in chemistry and um, inor my inorganic chemistry professor when I was a junior in college started going into that stuff with me, which is what initially sent me down this path. Um, Cause we were, I don't even remember what it was that we were talking about, but like looking into it, you start to see that all of these bases for the modern pharmaceuticals slowly become endangered or protected by the federal government. So you see that like a bunch of the stuff that we could be using as herbal remedies is being removed from access or easy access. And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like they can only do so much because a lot of it just grows rampant, but even then they have like weed killing policies. And, you know, if I were conspiracy theory minded, I might say that those are intentional, but I'm not going to do that here. <laughs> No, it's you have to have a permit to pick saw palmetto berries on your own property here. <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous. Absolutely insane. <laughs> I just read a study um, on Pud PubMed that said chicken egg yolk antibodies, or IGYs, block the binding of multiple SARS-CoV-2 spike protein variants to the human ACE2. So yeah. maybe that has something to do with the eggs. But again, I wouldn't go there either. Yeah, I, I would I shared, say just eat real food. I shared yeah. that the other day and I didn't add any commentary because I'm not, but there's been the egg shortage issue and then backyard chickens not laying. And then the, they did the study with the big ag um, chicken feed and uh, it's coming back like lower in protein than normal to support laying function. So it's just like, I'm not going to say all the factories that burnt down. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Just, here, um, here in the state where I live, they instituted a law that they can't sell eggs unless they are cage free at the same time all of this is going on. So egg prices here are just absolutely insane. And they're traditionally the cheapest form of protein. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it, yeah, like see, these are the people who uh, profit off of everybody being ill. And the same ones that tell you eating Lucky Charms is better than eating eggs. <laughs> than eating eggs, yeah. So go buy those Lucky Charms and you'll be just fine. I mean, I think carbs have a place in as a substitute if you can't get actual protein. Because you can get some sustenance from them. But they should not be the main focus or the main staple even. They are to augment when you don't have access to real meat and real, real protein sources like that. Oh, something I was going to say earlier and just, and, I, and it slipped my mind, uh, you guys were talking about earlier, uh, I wanted to comment on here at on our local news a few weeks ago, they were doing a, a story about how childhood obesity, that they're going to start doing surgery and prescribing pills at younger ages to help combat it. And then like a day or two later, they did another story because a lot of people must have been pretty upset and they were like they had some doctors on like well i mean that wouldn't be our first thing we'd go to but you know like trying to like like, like they're testing the waters and then pull back you know but it's just so ridiculous and like there's some fat kids out there and they're gonna have a bad time you know trying to learn how to take care of themselves at a young or you know later in life 
they've been brought up to eat like that. You know, I mean, I agree. I, A lot of the times, sad. you know, families will say, "Oh, it runs in my family," and I don't think that's the case. I think your bad eating habits are, uh, you know, run in your family. So mm-hmm. you have, you know, all these people give away their personal power and saying, oh, I'm a victim of this. Oh, this is my circumstance. I can't help myself. When really you have all the power. Don't put that poison mm-hmm. in your face. That's step number one. Yeah, yeah. heck yeah. And that's the, like the best anarchist way to put it. It's like, if you're one, if you're going to be responsible for yourself, if you think that you are capable of being responsible for yourself, that's where you have to start is taking responsibility and accountability for what goes into your, your own body. Like start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's um, worried about fixing the state and they can't fix themselves. So I yep. think they should start with pers- person number one. <laughs> I agree, definitely. Yeah, with like everything, if everybody just mind their own business and took care of themselves and then, you know, those immediately around them, like people would be taken care of. <laughs> Absolutely. But, so, um, I was a fat kid, man. I grew up, you know, I was bigger than I am now by the time I was 12. And I stayed that way, like through my teens and early 20s and middle 20s until I had my first child. And then I was like, I've got to do something about this. And at that point, like it was a, you know, a restrictive diet plan and intense exercise and, you know, all of the things that they tell you to do to lose weight. But I had, you know, I had tried before, but I'd never really tried before. Um, and then with my second pregnancy, I gained a whole bunch of weight again. So I don't know, like maybe there is something genetic there about, you know, during pregnancy. I know you're like, you generally put weight on, but I put on like 80 pounds, which is no way more than you're supposed to. I did the um, same with my first kid. Yeah. I don't know. It is it like the, you know, give your, you give yourself the leeway to eat for two or something. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I did. <laughs> I was busy baking a baby, man. Give me those right? pancakes. Heck yeah. <laughs> but, you know, since then, um, my partner has started doing keto and then I implemented some changes. And the first one was like intermittent fasting. Do you have any like thoughts on that? Cause I feel like everybody needs a break from digesting sometimes, but I don't know that we talk about that enough. Oh, a hundred percent. So I am of the opinion that the biggest stress you put your body into every day is digestion. Because if you think about it, everything you put in your face has to be broken down to molecules for your body to be able to use. That's a lot of processing. And when we're, when our bodies are focused on breaking all of that down, it doesn't have the energy or the reserves to go after things like rogue cancer cells. So implementing that intermittent fasting allows your body that space to go after all of those other things it needs to do, but doesn't have time for. That's why we call it break fast, right? Break your fast. Um, Your body has been doing that all night long. If you were done digesting about two hours before you go to bed, if you have a late night snack right before you go to bed, your body gets no rest. You need to be done digesting before you go to bed. So that whole time period is a fast. Um, I've had clients that have had absolutely fantastic success with it. Um, We're talking losing 60 pounds in six months. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about what I did. I started 
intermittent fasting in August of 2021. And then I had, man, I had lost 53 pounds by Christmas of that year. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was just from limit. So I initially started limiting the hours that I ate. And then I started like changing out the foods, you know, one week at it, I would do this. And the next week, I would throw in something else or take out something else or, you know, set set my protein goal or whatever. Um, But it, yeah, it was definitely really quick with the fasting. And I didn't expect that, like, but if you can, if you can muster up that self-control to like not eat till a certain time and not eat past a certain time, like, I think that's super fantastic for, for your body to have that like reset, I guess. Absolutely. Um, there are clinics I know down in Costa Rica, I have a friend who goes down there regularly and he'll fast for like, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 days at a time. And he's been able to reverse his, uh, dairy sensitivity because of doing that. Well, that's what he attributes it to. I suppose we don't have any scientific proof, but you know, he had to be dairy free for nearly a decade. And now he went to a party and he was able to have some cheese and he was over the moon about it. That's That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could not um, be lactose intolerant. I love my milk and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm, I am lactose intolerant and I miss it. But when I take a digestive enzyme, I can have it. And I try not to do it too yeah. often because it messes up my system a little bit. But yeah, I can't live life without cheese. So there's yeah. that. Like nobody's cheese perfect. Cheese is life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I um, think, so that's somebody... the difference. Go, oh, go ahead. I was just going to no, say. No, you go ahead. <laughs> that, that's the difference between Western medicine and, you know, functional nutrition, functional medicine is that it's a long haul process. It's not here, have a pill, forget tracking anything. It's here, implement these changes and track everything. It's going to be a long process, but you're going to be healed at the end. Right. It's going to be long and it's going to be involved and it's going to require some effort as opposed to, you know, going to the pharmacy and then, you know, remembering to take this little thing in the morning. But I think like it's, for me, it was worth it. Um, implementing the intermittent fasting and then, you know, trying to change what I was taking in was definitely worth it as opposed to going to get some kind of pill or shot or the surgery that they're trying to put off on children, um, Mm -hmm. to help them lose weight. Like that's insane. And I think children could do the intermittent fasting just as easily and as much as adults could. Like, I don't think that there's any reason why a kid needs to wake up and eat breakfast at 6 a.m. and then be carted off to school where they have more sugar-filled snacks and then eat lunch and then come home and eat dinner and then have dessert and go to bed. Like, I don't think that that's necessary for them to thrive either. I think we've become very used to not listening to our bodies. We don't, we eat when we're not hungry you know, a lot of the times, just like you illustrated. So I absolutely agree with that. I think when you're hungry, you should eat. And when you're not hungry, you shouldn't eat. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think of the extended fasting? Like that, the really long amounts of time. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely need someone who knows what they're doing to oversee uh, yeah. you. You know, it's not something that I would recommend for the average person. If you've got some real stuff going on and you've tried 
just about everything, then maybe that's an avenue we go down. But for most people, intermittent fasting is is enough. I mean, I have even have uh, friends who do three-day fasts at a time, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they don't eat anything. And it works wonders for them. It allows the body time to flush out toxins and get rid of things. And without, you know, stressing it with that digestive process all the time, you start to get uh, results like better sleep. So it doesn't have to be radical to be radical. I like that. Doesn't have to be radical to be radical. Mm. <laughs> uh, something you said made me think of something, but I don't, I don't know. It slipped my mind. Dang it. I knew I should <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. That was before. That was, that but it didn't matter. But okay. So if somebody was starting out and wanting to, um, you know, start eating better. Like, what would you say is like the first thing, like like the, the worst thing that people should want to get rid of first if they're trying to make these changes, like like sugar, caffeine, or just is there something like? Yeah. So I definitely, I think it's sugar for sure. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I remember there was every commercial on the TV seemed to talk about your salt intake, right? And then after that, it was the low-fat everything craze. And neither of those were the culprit. It's been sugar this whole time. That's what causes heart disease, flat out. That's what causes blockages in your heart blood vessels. So definitely remove the sugar. But in saying that, I know how scary that sounds to most people. So that's where I come in with that smoothie in the morning, and set yourself up with some healthier sweet snacks. You know, make make some cookies with, uh, I don't know, almond flour, honey, and some jam. You know, like, that's, that's pretty sugary, but it's all stuff that your body can recognize. You know, and it's not um, been processed to all heck. So there is some health value in it. You know, it, you've got to start slow. You can't just jump in and say, remove everything that's great, because people are not going to want to come back and talk to you if you do that. <laughs> But I, I would say definitely, you know, get that smoothie in in the morning. And even if it does have a lot of fruit in it, if that's what it takes to get you on this path, then take it. You know, eventually you're going to want to start to incorporate more vegetables in your smoothies. Uh, but that's not a first step most people want to take. So just start start by not consuming that uh, processed sugar. You know, do whatever you can to get yourself to that place. And then at the same time, set yourself up for success. How many times have you come home from a rough day and said, uh, I don't feel like cooking, right? And then so you grab some junk and then you feel like crap because you ate junk for dinner. Well, why don't you make a huge batch of some soup or stew that has all kinds of good meats and vegetables, root vegetables, maybe some really good cleansing herbs like thyme and freeze individual portions so that you always have some soup in the freezer and you no longer have that excuse of, oh, I'm just going to go hit up Burger King. Or you can pressure can it. Pressure can it. You can have. Yes. <laughs> All right, I'm going to plug, plug our canning episode there. If you're interested yeah. in learning how to can. <laughs> yeah. We did we did an episode on that. <laughs> yeah. It, a lot of it just takes for, forethought. You know, you have to set yourself up for success because we live in a world where Everything is on demand and all of our whims can be granted in an instant. And I think the strength comes in saying, no, 
I know that that's not what I really ultimately want. And prolonging that satisfaction and doing the things you're actually supposed to be doing. Right. I think, and that's why I love your, like, just get up and make a smoothie thing. Because number one, it's forcing people to, like, focus on their health for that amount of time that they're spending making that smoothie. And that's probably an amount of time that they've not spent focusing on their health previously, like grabbing a donut at the gas station or stopping at McDonald's for a hash browns or whatever. Like they're going to have to take like the few minutes that it takes to make a smoothie and think about like what's actually going in it and what's going to be going into their body. And that's like a fantastic place to like get, get your toes wet, you know, with your own nutrition. Absolutely. My my own smoothie that I have almost every day, I'd say probably five out of seven days a week I have, you know, it consists of a banana and an avocado um, as the base. And then I do some almond milk because I'm dairy free. Um, and then I use fresh ground flaxseed to help balance my estrogen. And I use a little bit of sesame seeds to get some good vitamin A in there. I mean, you can get really specific, really detailed as an individual what your body needs and incorporate that in your smoothie. And then you're out the door and you're living life and, you know, you've done a really solid thing for yourself. That smoothie sounds good. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I might need to get me some (laughs) flaxseed. I know. (laughs) I didn't didn't know about the estrogen benefits there. Yeah, and it's great for if you estrogen dominant or estrogen deficient, it'll help balance it out. And with all nutrition, all food therapy, it takes a while, you know, for for herbs to really start working. You have to take them for two weeks before they you even start noticing anything. Same goes for food. It takes a while before Mm. you start to notice the benefits. But when you continue with it, eventually you're, you know in really good health. And I don't know about you ladies, but I look at some of my friends my age and they are not in really good health. So yeah. I know how valuable it is to do mm-hmm. that every day. Yeah. And that like, that's definitely something that we've mentioned before is like Western medicine gives you something that acts now and it's super quick and everybody expects that from Mm-hmm. from the alternatives yes. but it's not that's not what we're doing here we're not masking we're not, we're not masking your symptoms anymore we're actually like trying to fix what's going on and that's not going to be a take a pill and feel better immediately kind of thing agreed mm-hmm. do you ever do any like um or recommend people do like a, like a coffee enema or any other like those cleanses <laughs> or things Absolutely. I was so, kind of wanted to look into doing like a liver cleanse or something, and or the was it the gallbladder one where you get those like the big chunks of stuff in your. Yeah, yeah, they can be pretty stuff. brutal. Um, I definitely prefer a more gentle approach. Uh, so I actually have put together a liver cleanse that's all based with food. So I'll be happy to send that to you if you're interested. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, those coffee enemas, they, those are great for people who, for example, have those gallbladder issues, right? They have mm-hmm. that problem breaking down fat and eventually that leads to motility issues with your bathroom habits. So if you, let me put it this way, everybody should be pooping one to three times a day. And if you're not pooping one to three times a day, you have slow motility and something's wrong. 
you're eating something that your body three times a day. That seems uh, maybe my maybe mine's a little slow. <laughs> right, right. But if you're not, if you're not, then uh, enemas are a great um, substitute for getting things out. Because what happens when you don't is that fecal matter becomes compacted in your colon, and the average 30-year-old American has between five and 10 pounds of it in their colon as we speak. So to get that stuff out, sometimes you need help, you know, and, and, um, colonics are great if you can go get them, but they can get pricey. So a coffee enema is a great alternative. And anytime you're doing something like that, please make sure you're using filtered, uh, distilled water. You don't want that chlorine in there and you definitely want to use organic coffee. I was going to ask, cause I, I thought that it was, I, I've never tried, um, I've considered it before, but never haven't really looked into it. But um, Anthony Samaroff posted a, a little video about it recently. And, like, he was making it sound like, you know, you should never try to do it yourself. But people can if they follow those little things, like you said, like filtered water and Absolutely. organic coffee. Yeah, he was okay. at the Gerson Clinic, and that's where I got the information from, as from yeah. the Gerson Clinic. Yeah, so oh, cool. it's definitely something mm-hmm. you can do. Awesome. Hmm. Oh, you mentioned ad- the adaptogens earlier, so I wanted to ask, like, what are your favorite mushrooms? Ashwagandha. Oh, it's mine too. Yeah, so <laughs> I use that a lot in my teas. Um, in fact, the the cup I'm drinking as we speak is uh, mm-hmm. ashwagandha mushroom tea, because um, with the mushroom teas, you could have as many as you want in a day. Like, whereas the green teas, you should probably limit your caffeine to no more than 200 milligrams a day. So with the mushroom teas, there's no caffeine in them. So I drink them all day long. So it, is it an ashwagandha and mushroom tea? Because ashwagandha is the root. Right, right. Okay, so it's a combination. Okay, cool. Yeah. I like I like goji berries, too. And acai berries, you know, all of those things have their place to support your cells. It just makes it easier for the cell to exist when you use them. So, cool. I think. Do you have any other questions, Resonance? I think I asked all the ones that I'd had. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have any more. And she's starting to look up at me, so I might have to get going in a minute. She's like, what are you doing? All right, well, why, why are you talking? <laughs> oh, sweet baby. <laughs> well, I learned a lot. Um, did you have anything else we missed or you wanted to just mention? Uh, yes, actually. When it comes to fiber, most people don't get enough of it in their diets. There's two kinds. There's soluble and insoluble fiber. You need both. Um, fruit and vegetables are a great way to get those in your diet. But as you start out, if you're not used to a lot of fiber, it can constipate you real quick. So my advice for that is absolutely you need it, but start low and go slow. So if you're not eating, you know, two vegetables a day, then start start with one. And if you get backed up, back off a little bit for a couple of days until you can go again. And then try again, because that fiber is what's going to clean out those unhealthy colons better than anything else you can do. Yeah, that's um, like the biggest thing that 
it's surprising to me, but um, the doctors will tell you if you're like starting to get the high cholesterol stuff, like the big, the biggest thing they'll tell you is to incorporate more fiber. At least that's like what I've experienced with family and friends. And they're like, I need to get more fiber. And it's just, why are they focusing on diet there instead of pushing the pills at people? Why is it the fiber one? <laughs> yeah. It's probably because there's no other way to really do it well. So they're yeah. in a corner on that one. <laughs> they don't have a pill yet. <laughs> Start giving a fiber pill and then convince you it's the only way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, um, did you want to plug where people can find you? Are you taking on new clients or anything? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at my website is RTB, that's root to bloom, wholehealth.com. And I would love to connect with anyone who wants to start a journey to a healthier them. Yay. Awesome. That, yes. Thanks for coming on. Residents, do you want to plug your stuff? If you guys want to follow me. <laughs> yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mother of Chaos XAOS. And you can follow me at E underscore Agorist. And you can follow the show at Let's Make Some SHH. Keep making shit. See you next week. Thank you.